Hello everyone, and welcome to the show Crossroad Stories, and we are your hosts. I'm Demonic Freak. And I'm Rosemary. And this is the show where we talk about everything roleplay and weird. Join us in our odd shenanigans as we explore various topics and VRP, but mostly voice roleplay. Alright, new day, new RP. Time to get started, don't you think? But let's start off with our news and updates today. So, what episode are we on now? At least... We are on episode three of The Warden's Cage. Yeah, holy shit. But it's <laughs> like now, I think it's uh, episode five in the total series, I think. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, we've got five episodes of our podcast out, so that's exciting. Oh, yeah. And that's pretty damn awesome, if you, if you know what I mean. <laughs> if you want a explanation as to where we are on this RP, go and check out the second episode of The Warden's Cage. That will kind of bring you up to speed to where we are. And I guess let's uh, talk about what is new with us. To be honest, for me, I'm just same old, same old. <laughs> Nothing really new except I'm doing some art for this RP. Yeah, surprise, Mary. <laughs> You're not going to see it yet until it's finished, though. <laughs> but yes, I'm going to do some art for this. Hello, doggo. <laughs> oh my god. And Thor appears as a special guest on the podcast once again. <laughs> oh my god, he always does this. That's going to become a new ritual now, I think. <laughs> He's having a temper tantrum right now as we speak. Oh lord. <laughs> Because I'm not the only one. My, my stepfather's currently handling him. He's That's what that er, er, er is. <laughs> if you hear that. No, I don't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rose, you had some news today for us. Yes. Um, right now, uh, my commissions are open. Uh, I'm currently doing at least three to five slots right now that are available. Um, if you're interested in what my art looks like and kind of like my creative process, you will find all information on that on my Twitter at rosemary underscore art. But my Ko-Fi and my Patreon is also open as well. My Ko-Fi is also at rosemary underscore art and my Patreon is just rosemary. All right. So I think that ends our news portion for the day. So... Let's get right on to the next episode of The Warden's Cage. After a long time of the two of them having flown for a good while, I'd say around maybe an hour or two by now, the man had gotten very tired from his flight, not only carrying his own weight by this point, but also carrying the weight of this young girl. Though normally this wouldn't bother him, but at the same time, he wasn't very high on energy at the moment, so he needed a rest. So as he descends, kind of going through a few clouds, as he hovers a little bit over the landscape, kind of flapping his wings up a little bit as he 
clears some trees but comes to part a little bit off the road. He slowly descends upon this clearing and lands without any issue. When his boots meet the soil once again, kind of brushes up some grass and dirt as he lands. But this place, as he looks around, seems to be very cut off. So he figures that they won't be disturbed. But he is also going to have to be wary just in case because there's always the random bystanders that do wind up finding their way to some of these unfortunate scenes. Either way, the man then walks over to a tree where there seemed to be a, a duffel bag is hanging from this branch. Recognizing it as his, he grabs it, goes back over to a spot in the clearing in the tall grass that he figures would be fairly secured and sets his bag down. The girl is still limp over his shoulder and regardless of this he doesn't put her down because for fear that she might be faking it. So instead what he does is he sets her down but she seems to be pretty at least what it looks like pretty knocked out. Given the amount of blood that she lost, though, it's very possible that she is knocked out. But he can't be too sure. So he takes some zip ties and binds her feet together, and then her hands as well. He leaves her there as he collects some rocks around the area, brings it forward into a makeshift fire pit and begins to light a very low flame using a flint and steel. And as he takes the flint bar and takes his knife and just rakes it across the side of the thing, sparks fly from it and light the dry grass and little bits of dry leaves that he has collected. And he tends to the fire, slowly blowing on it, keeping his face out of the smoke as he continues to pack on little bits of small grass tufts and sticks as he continues to build up the fire by keeping it low. He looks through his duffel bag and kind of tries to figure out what he's going to do with her. Either he's going to set up the tent or they might very well sleep under the stars depending on which. Though granted a tent would allow him to keep a closer eye on her and possibly give her some sort of comfort that he isn't as barbaric as she had previously seen. That way she could have her privacy while he stands guard outside. So as he continues to wait for her to wake, he sets up the tent and then just sits there as he munches on some previously dried jerky that he had made, homemade. And he just stares at her, watching, waiting. Rose literally opens her eyes very softly, still feeling a huge migraine from the loss of blood 
and still feeling very weak. And she needs a lot of energy now to rebuild what she had lost. But she slowly moves to see if she can move her hand up to her forehead, only to realize that her hands are bound and her eyes widen as her eyes dart around, wondering where she is and what is happening. The man takes a piece of jerky up to his mouth and has his teeth clamp around it, and he pulls on it. She hears this tearing of dry meat sound as he continues to chew on it. I wouldn't try that if I were you. Where am I? Far away from your house, if that's what you're wondering. Why me? What do you want with me? You gotta hate it when they ask questions. You'll find out that one eventually. If I were you, I'd save your energy. Plus, not only that, we have a big gash right on your shoulder. Actually, it's not really a gash, that's more or less like a huge bite mark. <laughs> I think I did myself well on that one. You're lucky I didn't tear out that part of your shoulder. Rose says nothing. She just trembles and just curls up tighter, although it is finding it a bit difficult with her arms and legs bound up. Now there's two things that I could do for you, girl. One, you're going to be sleeping in the tent. Two, I can remove those, but if you don't run, does that seem fair? Rose thinks for a moment as she scans her current situation. She has no phone on her. She cannot call for help. She doesn't know even know if she can even stand up. Can she even run in this state? The man kind of notices that she's thinking and the wheels in her head are kind of turning. I know you're already thinking about it, aren't you? I'll tell you this. You're miles away from any sort of civilization. The nearest road is about 50 miles that way. <laughs> you're pretty much shit out of luck. And you're stuck with me. Oh, and any wolves and bears in the area. Realizing there's nothing that she can do, she sighs and just whispers, Yeah, I, I won't run away, I promise. Good. The man then leans forward with his big bowie knife, puts the knife in between where her two wrists are, and swiftly angles the blade up and cuts her restraints, both on her hands and then on her ankles. Good. You move from that spot and you're in serious trouble. You don't want to know what I'm going to do. Plus, I ain't in the mood to chase you. So, I'm guessing you're probably hungry and probably thirsty. He quivers as she clutches at her shoulder. And the other hand on her head as she kind of nods. My guess is you might want me to tend to that. So the man then stands up, brings over a first aid kit, and he sits down behind her and pulls her shirt down over her shoulder a little bit on her right side and sees the entry points of where his teeth all had made contact and had slipped through and punctured her flesh. Mm, did a number on you, didn't I? It's probably plain to see that it was pretty damn hungry. Again, like I said, you're lucky I didn't tear a chunk out of you. 
Rose doesn't look him in the eye. He ignores this. And he continues to try and use antiseptic wipes on the bite itself to make sure that she doesn't get an infection. And continues to use hydrogen peroxide and antibiotic cream on the wound itself. And then uses a gauze all around it and using medical tape to kind of keep the bandage in place. There you go. He then stands up and heads back over to the other side of the fire where he was. He then opens up a small tin, but to Rose it's about of a medium-sized tin. But as he opens it up, she sees there's a line of cigars in there. Takes one, lights the end in the fire, and then brings it up to his teeth. So, you're gonna get the tent. And I'm gonna be staying out here. I'm nocturnal, so I don't need to sleep. Is that understood? Yeah, that's understood. <laughs> Good. She sees the man kind of take a long, deep inhale of the cigar and expels the smoke out of his mouth in a very thick cloud and then to a stream of very light wisps of smoke. Even from where she's sitting, she can still kind of smell the smell of the cigar. But the scent was not oppressive like how the smell of tobacco was. Instead, it smelled like peppermint and eucalyptus, which was strange. With no phone or anything to call for help with, Rose is thinking she may have to get on this man's good side if she were to get anything, like even an option, to be able to call someone. But for the most part, she stays quiet, although she watches as this man smokes these very strange cigars. He then kind of digs in his uh, bag a little bit and he pulls out another baggie and tosses it to her and it lands right in her lap. And as she looks down, sees it, it's a bag of beef jerky. Rose doesn't say anything for a while, but she looks down at the bag, kind of nods to him as she opens it up and immediately starts scarfing it down. At least as immediately as she can with how dizzy she is from the loss of blood. The dried jerky is very seasoned well. Peppery, a little salty, a little bit of spice in there even as well. And you can tell he used some Worcestershire sauce to kind of season it a little bit more further. And it's perfectly dried, but still has a little bit of uh, some medium rareness to the inside. So it's got a little bit of a chew. The taste is almost bittersweet to her because it's delicious. But <laughs> why is it always delicious with your kidnapper? He then tosses her what looks to be a hide of a animal, but it's in kind of sewed together kind of like a water bladder with a cork on the top. She kind of pauses, kind of inspects it, even opening it up to try and see if there's any smell to it. It smells fine, but it does smell like crystal clear water. She kind of pours a little bit onto her hand just to double check and make sure that it is water. And the water that comes out is very clean looking. Very clear. She takes a very cautious sip. And of course it tastes interesting. Kind of has a 
almost like a mineral taste, but not like the offensive mineral, but more or less like a like mineral water almost. After she takes a few good gulps of the water, she kind of curls up as exhaustion is taking her again. The man kind of pokes the fire a little bit and notices that she's getting tired. No, you can just hate those things and go into the tent. Like I said, I'll be watching out here. So as the girl stands up to go to the tent, she sees something strange slinking behind him thinking it's a large snake at first, but when she looks again, she sees it's attached to him. It's a large, thick tail with a long, black tuft of hair on the end of it. And now that she thinks about it, she can see most of his features, and it is definite that he is not human, not with those long, kind of dog-like ears that are slightly flopped down but angled much like how a gremlins would be. She kind of watches this man for a long moment, now seeing him in his full glory, I guess. He kind of continues to poke the fire a little bit, but he notices that she's paused. So she sees the black eye of his move and the red ring that is somewhat glowing looks to her then. Would you stare at that girl? Nothing. She looks away and just slides into the tent. The man's corner of his mouth kind of creeps up a little bit into a very slight smile. (laughs) So, as Rose looks around the tent a little bit, she sees that there's a nice kind of um, fluffy uh, bedding on the inside waiting for her. Several pillows, as well as several blankets and a sleeping bag has been draped over kind of to make a kind of like a nest almost and a nice big kind of furred blanket over top to kind of be the blanket of this nest seeing the bedding she kind of slowly crawls onto it and kind of curls up into all of the blankets and the pillows in the sleeping bag just curling up very warmly although still that fear in the back of their of her mind as she immediately starts to weep she's scared she doesn't know where she is she doesn't know what to do and she kind of just slowly cries herself to sleep as she falls asleep the man kind of stands up a little bit and looks around and his ears dart around a little bit and as his ears do kind of swivel back and forth, he hears something approach. And as the fire kind of illuminates the area a little bit, he sees with his nocturnal eyes something large is moving through the grass itself. And as his eyes kind of narrow on this large thing that's lumbering through, he distinctly hears the growling of a bear. And he can see the distinct hump of what looks to be an older grizzly bear that is around the same height as he is. And 
as his eyes meet with the large creature's eyes. The bear, knowing well enough not to get any closer, kind of backs up a little bit, but still staring at the man, kind of showing that he's not completely afraid of this man, for he looks to be just a normal man. But this demon stares back at this bear, and as it does, its eyes begin to gleam, and he readies his claws as they slip out from between the slits of his fingers, and he growls a low, gurgling sound coming deep from within his chest. There, kind of backs up a little bit and then turns around quickly and runs away, knowing full well that this is a battle that it most certainly would wind up losing. The man then kind of relaxes a little bit, his claws slipping back to small claws sticking out of the slits of his fingers, and his ears kind of droop a little bit, now more relaxed than they were tensed a few minutes ago, and he just sighs. Oh, it is Canada, I expect to see one of those things around here. And he goes back over to the fire, and he just sits down again, waiting and watching the night sky as it slowly moves along, waiting for a dawn to approach again. The next morning, the man just kind of, not that he had uh, fallen asleep, but kind of half nodded off a little bit, but he was still listening. But as he kind of lifts his head a little bit and he's a little not fully there, he kind of stands up and he has a little bit of a headache. But that was also for the fact that he'd been awake for a good three days. So, going over and going into his duffel bag, he pulls out a very small skillet, though it is a cast iron skillet. And he kind of starts up the fire again, and then puts the cast iron skillet right on top. And pulling out his food bag, he digs in there a little bit and grabs a whole carton of eggs and some bacon. And he goes ahead and begins to cook eggs and bacon for both him and this girl. Rose is quickly awoken by the sound that someone was cooking something over the fire. She kind of rubs her eyes really tiredly as she kind of struggles to sit up, squeaking a bit as she leaned, as she accidentally leaned on that shoulder. She grasps it delicately. Is she slowly sits up, although the headache still has not left her. She kind of zips open the tent. She kind of peeks out to see what's going on. She's greeted by the sight of this man, just kind of very tiredly, albeit, is cooking eggs and bacon on a cast iron skillet over the fire. <laughs> 
she kind of still seeing nowhere to run or anywhere to go and not even having the energy to do anything she kind of slowly gets out of the tent and kind of approaches this man just kind of watching him she sees again those black eyes with the red rings kind of dart over towards her and he kind of looks at her so you're awake why don't you sit down seeing a nearby log over by the fire she kind of delicately walks over to it being mindful that she is still barefoot so stepping on any rocks is gonna be just as painful she just sits down on the log by the fire a little bit of a cold morning hopefully you slept fine yeah as best as I could anyway well I don't really have much food. I only have enough for today's breakfast and then lunch, but a very light lunch. And then dinner. Hopefully we'll be back by the time this runs out. Either that or I'd have to stop somewhere, but I hesitate on doing that because you are in no shape, nor do you even look the part. The man kind of looks at her, and he looks a little annoyed, but he just kind of snorts. <sighs> anyway. He then takes a plastic plate, a very small one, and just puts four pieces of bacon on there and three eggs for her and hands her the plate with a small plastic fork. He kind of looks at the food as she kind of sets it, the plate down on, on her lap and then kind of just carefully eats it. Nice, thick, crispy bacon and some nicely salt and peppered eggs. She is cautious with what she is eating right now as because of the headache and, of course, with how much weaker she is. She knows that while she doesn't have the appetite as she may throw up, she knows that she has to try and eat something to get some kind of strength back. As she is eating, she does notice that the man does begin to eat himself, and he winds up eating a whole package of bacon and the rest of the carton of eggs. Or very early on, she notices that he's got one massive appetite. So as Rose eats and sees how much food this man is taking in, she notices that with a small, delicate fork, he tries his best to kind of pinch the fork between his pointer finger and his thumb because his hands are so large. And he pokes the egg and carefully bringing the whole thing up to his mouth. He eats the whole egg, although unfortunately, as he bites, she hears this crunching sound. He pauses, and he kind of pulls the fork out, and the tip of the fork is gone. The man just kind of sits there, awkwardly a moment, and kind of stares at the now decapitated fork. But he just kind of shrugs and he continues to chew. As he does, Rose can hear him literally chewing and crunching and grinding that fork into bits. 
and then he swallows. And then he just takes the whole cast iron skillet and just opens his mouth as wide as he can and pours the rest of the food into his mouth. And in a large mouthful, he chews it down and then swallows that. Now, with the cast iron skillet, he just takes a piece of cloth and cleans the inside of it, but still wanting to keep that flavor on there. He then puts everything away that he had taken out for breakfast, and then he just sits there and waits for Rose to finish. Rose had actually had almost dropped the fork and also the food that was in her mouth as she kind of watched him break this fork. She recomposes herself and continues eating, although a lot slower as she is being mindful of her own health. But she recomposes herself and continues to eat, knowing she has to regain her strength, although she is eating much slower than this man. She does eventually finish and clean her plate. Afterwards, he takes her plate and her fork and wipes it down, and then sticks it back into his duffel bag. He closes it up, and then puts the bag on his shoulders with the straps around his arms, and then looks to her. Alright, you ready? No. Of course not. You better not move while I take this tent down. So, as she just sits there, he continues to start taking the tent down and packing that away, and then also putting that in his duffel bag, and then setting himself up again. And he goes over and stomps out the fire, using his boots, of course. And, well, making it seem like nobody was ever there. Though still some traces left, of course, that being the fire-charred rocks had been strewn about. He then looks to her. Am I either going to have to carry you, or are you going to sit just fine on top of the bag? His eyebrow cocks at her. I... on top of the bag? Yes, because we have to fly. Oh. You don't like heights? No, it's not that. It's just... Of course, because I'm the one that kidnapped you. That is warranted, but at the same time, you better not give me any trouble. Out of curiosity, what happens if I don't do as you ask? His eyebrow raises a little bit as he just kind of looks at her in silence. What happens if you don't? Easy. I hurt you, and you're not going to like what I will do. He holds her arm very awkwardly, but she just walks up to him, just says that, and just looks up at him. Uh, fine, I'm ready. Am I holding you, or are you going to hang on to the bag? Whatever you think is safer. The man just kind of uh, moves his tongue around in his teeth a little bit. All right. Well, at this rate, I'm probably going to have to hold you. Because you're probably going to give me some trouble. He then picks her up without a second's thought, and, though it being so abruptly, winds up warranting a small squeak from Rose. The man, then now holding Rose, kind of points himself, kind of facing the same direction as the rest of the field. 
and not seeing anything in his way, figures it would be a perfect place to take off. So, as he's holding Rose, and kind of picks her up a little bit tighter in his arms a little, she notices that his wings are starting to pull out from the two slits in his uh, cloak a little bit. And they kind of flap a little bit. And she notices that they're not black, but in the dim daylight, they're actually a dark brown color with a slight red hue closer towards the inner parts of his wing. And he has this, or these strange thumbs on these wings, very much, again, like a bat, but with long claws. Although these strange flaps on the outer sides of his wings and at the ends of his wings as well, likely to be probably primary flight feathers, but not actually feathers, since them being made of flesh. So he spreads his wings and flaps them a little bit more, kind of backs up because he's unsure of how to actually get a running start here, considering all the weight he's now carrying, and considering this is going to be a little bit more difficult. Granted, it's not his strength that is the issue, it's the fact that he's not entirely aerodynamic. But with his large wings, he should be able to carry everything, much like a very large albatross. So, given the amount of distance that he has now, he starts in with a walk at first, and then goes into a jog, and then a full-on sprint as he begins flapping his wings. And as he does, he picks up more speed, and finally jumps a little bit, and his wings flap and pump him and Rose into the air. And as Rose sees this, miraculously and beautifully, though, she sees the ground leave them, and as his wings continue to pump them higher and higher into the air, she starts seeing the tops of the trees and sees the countless landscape before them and sees that, yes, the nearest road was indeed about 50 miles away, so he wasn't lying. So you're afraid of heights yet? I've flown in a plane before. Trust me, this ain't nothing like a plane, little girl. So, I take it you have some questions for me. Why? That's all I want to know. Just why? Why me? <sighs> Alright. Given the fact we need to fly, it's gonna take us a little bit. Might as well answer that question. There's a reason why I took you. You are not what you think you are. You are something of a magic user, and I need that specifically. I found other ones, but they haven't been as strong. I don't know why, but I take it genetics have been not so kind. But what you are is something quite rare. Call it the, what is it, the golden apple of the humans. You're something a bit of a relic, or at least your blood is. So that's why I came for you. So think of it this way, it's kind of a mercy 
Because had I not find you, somebody else would. Or something else would. So, to a certain degree, you're lucky that it's me, but also at the same time, you're also unlucky. The reason why I say this is because, for the most part, I kill whoever I come across, but kind of need you alive. So, I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do with you yet, but all I know is that I need your blood. Am I going to kill you? No, to be honest. I'd rather I need you alive, but... I won't hesitate to use force if you so much as disobey me. Is that understood? I guess so. I take you might have a few more questions. Just where are you taking me? Out of here. Because my guess is they have a description as well as they might very well. Well, your parents know who what I look like. So it's very possible they could have gotten a sketch or something done. So now they're going to be looking for me. And everybody in the world, or at least in Canada right now, will be looking for you. So I've got to go to the one place that I know no one will ever find you. And that is my home. So I live in the desert. That's pretty far in. It's mostly closer to being, well, I think it's uh, southwest of the U.S., kind of that portion around New Mexico and Texas and Arizona. So, I don't know if you know it, but it's the Chihuahuan Desert. That is my home. It's hundreds of miles of desert all around, and I live smack dab in the middle. Rose just kind of quivers a bit. She just kind of curls up a little bit tighter, not wanting to think about it right now anymore. The man continues to fly them further and further, but though at the moment having the nice thick cloud cover, it's starting to disperse. The man is growing more and more visibly annoyed. Shit. We might have to delay this a little bit. There's no way I'm going to get over the border and not be noticed. You think they're going to... It's very possible they're going to notice something flying overhead that doesn't look like a plane. So I'm going to have to wait until nightfall. The man just kind of looks around as he is flying, trying to see if he can find a place to kind of hide for now before moving over the border. But the border is coming up pretty fast. Shit, 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 shit. Okay. That looks like a good spot. He notices kind of this gap in the trees a little bit, and it looks to be a small clearing in the forest. And this is going to be a tight angle. You better hang on. And quickly, he does a spiral down and dives into the area. But before he hits the ground, his wings kind of flutter open and act as a bit of a parachute as he makes a drastic drop down in. Now, securely onto the ground, he kind of puts the girl down and he just kind of rubs his forehead a little bit. That was a little bit of a close call. I don't want to have something like that happen again. may miss. I don't think you want twigs in your hair. What now? Well, now we wait. But I'm assuming you might want some lunch. 
At least something to eat, I guess. He then hands her the water bladder again. And then he kind of looks through the food bag in his duffel bag. And he pulls out an avocado, a little baggie of lettuce, another baggie of cheese, and a container of turkey. And as well as a, kind of a baggie of uh, tortilla sh shells, soft tortilla shells. Well, the only thing that I have for lunch, although be it, it's going to be a light lunch, wraps. He then begins to prepare the wraps, and he hands a couple to Rose, and then three for himself. The man, it doesn't take him long, though, to eat his wraps. So as they eat their lunch in silence, the one thing that Rose does notice is that his tail is kind of slightly moving back and forth a little bit while he's eating. He notices this and kind of studies the behavior and then kind of looks back to his his own face as he's eating his lunch before looking back at his tail. And once again, his tail is wagging back and forth a little bit. Very slowly, though, as he's eating his lunch. So as the two finish their lunch and they just kind of wait, the man just kind of looking up at the sky. She's kind of just walking around and kind of exploring the area. Although, she notices one thing. As it gets to be closer towards nightfall, she notices that he seems tired. He doesn't seem to be paying attention to her very much. And they aren't very far from the border guard, either. Literally just up the hill in the tree line. He kind of watches this, but cautiously tries to see if she can get farther and farther without him noticing. You know, finding any edibles that she can snack on while to make it look like that she's just looking around. As she is doing this, she notices that the man's eyes are getting droopy and he keeps kind of jolting himself awake a little bit. But then that's when his eyes start to droop more again. And then finally his head goes slack, and he falls asleep. Rose kind of clutches her arm, seeing this as some kind of way out. She kind of silently creeps up. Try being extra careful to not make too much noise as she kind of creeps up and peeks over the hill up, up ahead to see if she can get a look, although being mindful of her arm as well. Yep, just down the hill, right there. That's where the border patrol is. She kind of scans it to see how far away she is from, from the border patrol at this moment. Maybe a good 20, 30 feet. Maybe more, maybe 50 feet. It's literally just down the hill. But the hill from where she is makes it look like a shorter distance than it is. Rose takes this opportunity, and even though she probably does not, shouldn't be doing this in her current state, she, she tries to move a little bit faster to see if she can get there a little bit easier. Although as she does this, she notices that as she, every time she moves her shoulder, it starts to hurt really bad. 
She knows she has to tread lightly, but she also knows that she cannot stay here for too long. Otherwise, he will wake up and he will know that she is gone. When she's sure that she's far enough away from this man, she risks it and decides to run. Despite all the pain that she's now feeling in her feet for now, while still being barefoot, she tries to run for the for the border gates. As Rose is running down the hill, a couple of the border patrol do notice somebody, and they look, and they see this girl, what looks to be in her pajamas, barefoot, with a gauze on her shoulder, and blood, dried blood on her pajamas. They look to one another, and kind of approach her at a jog, but they're still pretty good distance away though. But it's at this moment that the man wakes up again, and with a tired gaze, he looks around a little bit, but his gaze gets steadily more and more aggravated as he looks around and finds that the girl is nowhere to be seen. Damn it! He gets up quickly and begins quickly sniffing around, trying to see if he can find her. Both flaps within his nostrils, now forming four nostrils, looks around and he continues to sniff and finally catches her scent and follows it up onto the hill. There are tears spilling from Rose's eyes as she's getting more desperate in each more pain, in every more painful step as she steps on, a, on another rock, another stick, but she keeps trying to go forward, hoping that she can get help. They're getting steadily closer and closer, and they're only like maybe 10, 15 feet away from each other. But as this happens, and she has this moment of relief as these two men get so close to her now, almost... She has this moment where she reaches out to almost touch their fingertips. But they have this moment where she sees these two men look up from her up to above her. And just seemingly this slow reaction. And as she looks over her shoulder, sees the man's angered face as he pulls his hands under her armpits and yanks her from her spot and flies right over the fence. The two guards, completely stunned and speechless, have no idea what they had just witnessed. With nothing to say but just the shock of being lifted up as she, her hand is now reaching at nothing. Tears flood her eyes as she just sobs in this man's arms. The man just kind of shifts her, not being gentle whatsoever, and pulls her up into his arms. And he just glares at her, not saying a word. He looks up then and continues to look towards where he's flying. At the same time, the two guards heading back to their outpost just in time look on the news to see that there was a missing girl and that a man had kidnapped this girl and sees the picture of Rose, the same one 
that they had just seen. Back to Rose and Clyde. Clyde is about ready to lose his temper a little bit and begins to scold her. What the hell were you thinking? I just told you to stay. And what do you do the moment I close my eyes? You decide that you're going to go and run off. Do you know what's going to happen now? Do you? You do, yeah. The moment we land, I'm going to be taking more from you. Obviously, you still have some strength. Might as well bleed it from you. He's told. You leave me no choice. I'm sorry, I won't do it again, I promise. <laughs> I can't trust you. He continues to fly them further and further. Now with more cloud cover, he flies high enough so that she can't see the ground anymore. After a few hours now of flying, Rose then looks and opens her eyes, looking down to the ground and sees that it's nothing but orange-ish, kind of red-ish sand, but more tan in certain spots. They have made it, or it seems like they have. So she sees that the ground is getting closer and closer, and he kind of pulls his wings up a little bit into a very slow descent. And as they land very softly, he then puts her down and looks at her, still glaring because he hasn't let go of what she's done yet. Well, we're here. Oh, I don't think you're going to like what I'm going to do next. Do you understand? Rose doesn't say anything, but she nods. She knows. She knows what's to come. The sun feels like it bears down a lot more here. And with her pale skin, it seems like it's almost already burning her skin. So, he then pulls out a sack from his pocket and quickly covers her in the sack and pulls her up from the ground and throws her over his shoulder. She squeaks as she's now in the sack, now wondering where she is. She kicks and presses her hands against the sack itself. What are you doing? The man doesn't respond to her, but instead she can feel him already walking. But something feels a little off. At first it feels like she's bouncing off of his back a little bit, but the sack moves slightly. And as she is moved around a little bit, she then feels like he'd tied her to something, like possibly his cloak, maybe? But she was knocking against his leg a little bit as he walked. He swallows nervously, wondering now what he is doing. As the man is walking, Rose can feel him move from side to side slightly. But then she hears what sounds like a massive boulder moving, or almost seems like a rock slide to some degree. And then, again, almost on command, it moves again. And then she can hear the 
It sounds like large footsteps echoing across some sort of chamber. And as the man strode across this deep, dark chamber, he goes to his den, which is a hole in the wall of the cave where his bed was located. Rose then feels herself being lifted up, and then she finds herself dropped suddenly. And before she could scream, she lands on something soft. And then silence. You can come out now. Rose trembles as she kind of slowly crawls her way out, feeling around to see where there's, for the light or any kind of knot that would indicate where the exit of this, of this bag is. Growing impatient, the man grabs the bag and shakes her out of it slightly, and she plops back down onto this soft kind of mass. And upon further inspection, she sees it's a blanket, but it's huge. And as she looks around herself, sees what seems to be a massive bed. He grows increasingly nervous. Her breath becomes more agitated as she slowly looks around with a deep sinking feeling in the in the bottom of her stomach. She looks behind her and her eyes widen in terror. The man is now standing behind her, but not at eight feet. The man is now sixty feet tall, standing there as he folds his arms and looks down at her. Right. This is my home, and you're in my house now. He sits there, completely stunned as she doesn't know what to say, as the reality of the situation is now soul-crushing at this point. And with the size of this man now, just the horrors of what he could do to her are slowly becoming real. The man kind of cocks his head to the side a little bit, and... A slow, creeping grin grows on his face as he stares at this little girl who seemed to be looking at him like a stunned mouse. Now you're starting to get it, ain't you? And you just pissed me off of a couple hours ago. So you can only imagine what I'm thinking right now, aren't you? She doesn't say anything as she just squeaks and trembles. <laughs> in this large size the man as he laughs his body seems to quake a little bit in the air around him trembles as his deep laughter reverberates around her grasping the full aspect of what that this man most definitely is not anything that she had previously thought about that he is much more frightening than anything that she could have thought of. The man then pulls his hands up and starts to crack his fingers a little bit. So, how will we proceed? Maybe I should take off one of your arms 
I don't think you need that now, do you? Please, no. Please, I'm begging you. As fun as that would be, though, like I said, I need you alive. But just know that I could easily do anything that I want. Understand? Yeah. Yes, I do. Good. With that being said, I'm sure you have a few questions. The only one I can think of is how am I any safer with you? <laughs> Clearly, that was a lie. <laughs> uh, no, it's not a lie. It's granted for the most part I'm not going to hurt you, so long as you stay on my good side. If you disobey like you did before, or at the border, then you won't be on my good side. How about that? The man's eyebrow raises. Eh, what say you? Come on, you're whimpering like a little scared chicken. Actually, more like a mouse. Please, no. What? You afraid that I'm gonna eat you? Please, I just want to go home. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. You can get rid of that notion right now. The man pauses for a moment as he kind of moves his tongue between his teeth a little bit again. Hmm. Well, how about this? I can explain a little bit of how this is all gonna work. And then you can ask me some questions. How about that? Alright, so first off, the reason why you are here is because I need an apprentice to some degree. And because of what you are, makes a lot more sense. So, your duties here include sweeping, mopping, dusting, polishing, cooking, and or prepping. Though granted, because of how everything is, I don't think you'll be able to actually cook. So while I'm cooking, you will be prepping. Organizing my books and scrolls. Polishing my vials for my alchemy, sorting treasure, soap making, waiting on me whenever I need you, gardening, as well as taking care of the animals that are located outside of this cave. You are not to go out a certain point beyond this cave, otherwise you will no longer be within the safe zone. And that safe zone is about a hundred miles or so but you are not allowed to go anywhere outside of about um, let's see maybe five miles so yeah you can't go very far and there is a border I made sure to put a line around kind of like a gate but it's more like a tripwire connected to some bells over here in my office. So if you move outside of that area, I will hear you. 
Is that understood? Yes. Good. Now let's go over some of the rules, shall we? I'm not gonna like this, am I? Oh no, you won't. So, here are the rules. No running away. Because I know I'll be damned if you do it anyway. No stealing my magic. If you're going to read anything about magic, you will read anything that I teach you. But without my teaching, you are allowed to only read level one magic, and it is marked on the bindings of the books. Is that clear? Yes. Next one, no stealing treasure. You will actually be given an allowance, and I'll explain that in a moment. So, behave and you will be rewarded. What I mean by that is if you behave, you gain more perks, you gain more leeway, you gain more rewards, and you gain your allowance. So, say for example, you complete a certain amount of chores in one day, and you will receive one or two gold pieces from me. You can only imagine how much money that is. Understand? Yeah. Now that doesn't sound too bad. Now, but there's more. You also gain access to the outside world if you behave. As in, you learn to like it here, and I will bring you out more. Hell, if you even behave to the point where I can actually trust you, yes, you will see your parents. But only when I allow it. Is that understood? Yeah. Uh, starting to annoy me with all your crying. <clears throat> anyway, some of the other perks you will also get is holidays and a few other things, I think. As in, you can get your own room and decorate it how you wish and even get yourself gifts or receive gifts from me. Is that understood? Yeah. Now here's the other problem. You misbehave. You will be punished. Would you like to know what those punishments include? It doesn't say anything. She holds her arm very tightly as she begins to grow more nervous. Let's go over the punishments, shall we? Depending upon the severity, you will receive either a scolding or a yelling. That's not too bad. Or you will receive more chores. Or, if anything you do ends up being worse, you get double chores, which means you have to do it twice. Is that understood so far? Yeah. Good. Now, you do something worse than that, you get some pretty dangerous tasks, or anything that I consider to be uh, not so favorable of a task. Is that understood? Yes, it is. Now, the last two you're not gonna like. Next one, if you do anything much worse to piss me off, then your privileges will be revoked, as well as your gifts and anything else that I've given you, or that you have gotten yourself. Yes, I will take it away. Or, you will have to deal with my teeth. And what I mean by that is that I'm going to probably wind up biting you. And that would include drinking some of your blood. Because, of course, I won't be able to stop myself. 
last one, you're not gonna like. You do something so horrid as much as to betray me, or do anything much worse. And I'll eat you without a second's thought. Is that understood? Mm. Yeah. Because I'll be damned if I have a little snot-nosed brat having betrayed me or do anything else. And I'll have you know, I can eat about five full-grown men. So you will be no problem. <sighs> he then backs up from her, and he folds his arms again as he stands tall with his shadow looming over her. Now do you understand? The reality of the situation grows extremely heavy on Rose. She just covers her mouth and just slowly nods. And the man just kind of stares at her. Basically, it's simple. You just do everything you're told to do, and as well as behave, and possibly learn to like it here. And then... you'll be fine. Hell, like I said, you'll be able to see your parents. Does that sound fair? I don't really have much of a choice, though. Let me put it this way. Do you want to misbehave, or do you want to behave? Your choice. We do as best as I can, so... The man just kind of lifts his hat up a little bit, and he kind of brushes the hair back a little bit, and then puts his head, or his hat back on. So you're choosing to behave? Yeah. Good. You'll learn to like it here. I mean, hell, but to be honest, a lot of humans think that living a, what, magic, quotations, world is fun and adventurous. No, it's not as cracked up as it is, or might seem to be. There's a lot of responsibility that still comes with it. Because trust me, there ain't no magic wands and fucking unicorns around here. There's literally me, humans, and other creatures like me. Some feral, some are not. You're just lucky you ran into one that isn't feral. Well, not entirely. Because <laughs> to be honest, I'd have to say that yes, to some certain degree. I do act a little feral sometimes. But that's only when I get hungry. And if you stay on my good side, you don't have to see that. Seems about fair. Anyways, now... Might as well give you a tour. And that's where we're going to pause the RP. Oh, God. <laughs> so, Mary, <laughs> what are your thoughts so far? Man, I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my fucking God. He just literally derailed anything she was thinking about for, like, to get away from him completely derailed oh yes and and the worst part is that if she keeps losing strength she won't even have any ability to run anyways exactly but now here's the next question is if she is really going to behave or is she going to misbehave now that is the next question i mean i know for sure clyde is genuine when he says that she'll be able to do all these things if she behaves mm-hmm 
but there's something there where I know for a fact that he's got something up his sleeve a little bit when it comes to the fact that he said that she'll be able to see her parents. There might be a little bit of a hidden thing there. He might not be entirely telling the truth about that one. No, I don't think so. He's a sneaky, or he's a sneaky bastard that way, so... Because if there's something he wants, he's not going to let it go. No, he definitely won't. Yeah. But anyways, that is where we're going to pause the RP right now. So if you guys want to get a drink, get some food, take a break, right now would be the best place mm -hmm. to pause the RP and pause this podcast. So we'll see you guys when you come back. This is the podcast where now we have my cat. <laughs> Say hi, Mochi. Don't you love being on a podcast? <laughs> she absolutely loves attention. <laughs> Baby. Do you love me? You're so cute. You do that, right? <laughs> How about this? Not like my pickles. <laughs> you want my pickles, don't you? <laughs> you are such a talkative cat, you know that? <laughs> what, you can't lick my face? Is that what this is? You can't lick my face? Oh, look, look, look. Here's a lick, 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 kitty. Say hi. <laughs> what the fuck, Maddie? Give me your garbage. <laughs> what? She wants to have everybody's garbage. She wants your garbage, Moji. Is that your garbage? <laughs> that is your garbage, isn't it? <laughs> Kitty. Mochi, where's daddy? <laughs> He's at work, baby. <laughs> He's at work, baby. Good girl. Mm. 
we'll say goodbye to everyone. <laughs> Mochi says goodbye. And we are back. So if you're just tuning in right now, this is the second part of the Warren's Cage RP. Episode 3 of the Warden's Cage, if I'm not mistaken. Am yep. I correct? Yep, it's episode 3. Alright, sweet. So, um, oh my god. <laughs> first, half of, or first half of the episode got really tense real fast. Not only that, but starting to realize a little bit now what Clyde is and kind of who he is as a person as well. <laughs> Oofta. <laughs> He's a dick. <laughs> More than that. <laughs> like, he is an asshole supreme. Fucking hell. God, I mean, like, can you, some of that, um, some of the shit he was doing was ridiculous. Like, he was uh, kind of uh, playing with her mind a little bit as well. Like, he was actually legitimately using fear play on her. Oh, yes. God, oh, I yes. That. I love fear play, though. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so... If you're just tuning in right now, this is where we're going to start the second half of the roleplay. So, now we are going back on to the second half of the Warden's Cage. So... You up for a tour? I guess so. Alright. Afterwards, we'll get some dinner. The man then puts his hand down slowly for her so that she can kind of ride on his hand. She kind of sits up after having her arms crossed over her knees. She kind of crawls onto his hand and kind of just sits there. He just kind of waits for him. As she sits down and he feels her weight shift onto his hand, he then picks her up, and the sudden jolt from his hand moving kind of makes her kind of grab his hand a little bit. But as she sits there, she notices how incredibly warm he is. Although his hands are a little gruff, though, considering how much he probably works with his hands. But she does indeed notice that he doesn't have any nails, but he does have slits in his fingers where these little kind of black claws are sticking out of. So with her secured in his hand now, he kind of curls his hand around her a little bit, but still enough so that she could see, but enough so that she was secured. And he kind of shows her... Um, Standing there a little bit, she sees the whole of his den. So obviously you know that this is my bedroom. There is no lot to it. It's literally just a hole in the wall. And this is where you're going to be sleeping as well. Yeah, like I said, I don't trust you yet. It's afraid of that, but yes. He then kind of turns around, but as he turns, she sees that the hole continues down further. If you're wondering about that... You aren't allowed down there. It's nothing but water down there. He then continues out into the main atrium, and she sees 
the entirety of the cave suddenly opened into this huge ballroom that was much bigger than him. And with this, the entire wall seems to be like smooth on the west side of the wall. And on the east side, and to a little bit to the north, was honeycombed, which had various things in there, like spices and other strange knickknacks and whatnot. But then there was also this uh, kind of stalactite false wall that seemed to be hiding something behind it, but she couldn't see what it was. But above, like from his shoulder going up and creeping down to the floor on the south side and on the east side a little bit, was completely covered in this crystalline layer on top of the rock and it glimmered with this beautiful iridescence of pink, blue, and purple. And it glowed, illuminating the whole of the cave. And at the center, in the very top above them, was this crystalline chandelier that just was naturally formed, dripping down. This is the main atrium, and this is my cave. The walls are completely crystalline, and if you touch them, the crystal glows. It's because it's bioluminescent, so it reacts with the electricity in our bodies. I'll teach you more about the biology of this cave with time. But right now, I'd probably overload your brain. He then takes her past, on the south side, this corridor that led to what seemed to be a dead end. That right there, that's the entrance. And no, you can't get through it. I made sure to completely close it off. And only I can move the rock. He then goes to the first corridor to the left on the west side of the wall. Down here is the bathing chamber. He then takes her down this corridor. And as it opens up again to another large ballroom kind of atrium, she sees it is kind of beautiful, again crystalline around, but this time hung from these kind of braided ropes from the ceiling, and a bookcase on the south side of that wall, but nothing to the west, north, and east sides of the walls. But on the total north of that wall was a huge waterfall seeming coming from the wall itself dripping down into this massive pool, but seeming to be to her as a lake, to him, just a really big-ass pool. And there was no lip, but because the area was completely rock, it literally she could walk from one side, or the shallow end, and it slowly got deeper and deeper and deeper as it went. But strewn about in this kind of lake of natural or naturally occurring spring water was these heated rocks or these hot rocks where one could actually rest and just warm their bodies from a long nice relaxing bath over here on this bookshelf you'll see menagerie vials these vials are soaps 
and each one of them are scented. And these ones down below are different. And what I mean by different, I use these for my guests. But you can use them as well. But this entire cave is connected to an underground spring that runs directly through. But it's not just any spring. It's a little river going underneath. It's a little known fact of this desert that nobody really knows about. And I'd rather keep it that way. He then turns around and brings her back. And over on the west side of the wall, that she hadn't noticed before in the main atrium, is where a large dining table was, seemingly made from planks of wood and tree trunks, also with a matching seat to go with it. And in the wall, there seemed to be carved out a fire pit and a chimney kind of going up. Over here is where I cook as well as dine. And over here, he then takes Rose over towards what seems to be a trap door in the floor. And he pulls it up and she sees a menagerie of water, various different vials of what seems to be fruit juice, as well as wine, beer, various different vegetables and meat as well. This is a naturally occurring refrigerator and freezer. I use, it's hard to explain, but you basically use the earth to cool everything and store food here. He then closes it. And then he takes her over to another area, and which is on the north side of the wall of this main atrium, two corridors as well as the four-door leading towards his bedroom. But he goes over to the far right. This over here, you can probably take a long guess, that is the bathroom. And then if you go over here... And he takes her to the middle corridor. And it opens up, and she sees what seems to be his study, as well as a place where he does his metalworking and woodworking and as well as practices his magic and alchemy. This is my office. You'll be spending a lot of time in here with me. He then takes her back out to the main atrium again and sets her down on the dining table. So, what do you think of the cave so far? It's impressive. Aye, that it is. Not nearly as impressive as outside, though. He then picks her up again and brings her outside, moving the rock out of the way. And outside, she sees that he literally lives in a mountain and large and what seems to be, again, in front of the entryway, kind of in a column, almost like a walkway, where these rocks look like claws coming up to reach toward the mountain. Anyways, this way. He then goes around to the left, and she sees kind of a carved out area where there is shade and what seems to be a wooden fence, tall and without any way of these 
animals within to get out and separate it by sections. Over here is where I keep my livestock. I have cows, goats, um, rabbits, and chickens. So I have a wide variety of meat. And then I also have whatever is out here in the wild that I can find. So, yeah. And then over on the other side here, which again, he takes over to the other side. This is where I keep all my crops. And to that Rose sees a menagerie of lines of different crops, such as corn, strawberries, blueberries, and quite a few other things. Because it stays pretty warm here, I'm able to actually keep these crops pretty well and to grow year-round. But there are certain things that I can't grow out here, of course. So if you want, I can give you a list and a map as to how everything is lined up. But yes, this is the desert. There is one more place that I haven't shown you yet, but I won't show you yet until you've proven yourself a little bit, and that's the Oasis. Other than that, look forward to that as a uh, kind of a reward. He then takes her back into the cave and shuts the door again. So, might as well get some dinner. What do you think? Nay, I'm a little hungry, I guess. Sound like you're perking up a little bit too. Rose doesn't say much. She's just kind of just taking in the sights as kind of a distraction. Right. So then he puts her down on the table, and then he goes over and starts grabbing some vegetables, meat, and a few other things from the cooler itself. He also grabs a what looks to be a large pillow from one of the honeycombs as well and brings it over, as well as the ingredients that he needs, and he sets the pillow down for her. You, sit here, and you just watch for tonight. Okay. So, given everything that's happened today, might as well give you something a little familiar. What about, uh, steak tacos? Yeah, that works, I suppose. Keep in mind that Rose is very out of it still she's still trying to readjust the fact that she is now in a place she doesn't know with a man she doesn't want to be with but she kind of has no choice <laughs> he then well pulls up some of the ingredients and she notices that these things are his size and very much quite big but he also has a few things for her that are pretty small so he begins to cut up the vegetables first cutting up the First, he cuts up the avocado and then sets that aside. And then he also cuts up some red onion into nice thin slices and sets that aside. And then he also goes ahead and begins to cut up some cilantro and parsley and sets that aside. And then he takes the grinder or a mortar and pestle and begins to grind various spices. And as he's doing this, Rose sees him putting in pepper and chilies, and as well as salt and a couple other as well, including a bay leaf. And he begins to grind that. 
and the aroma and the smells begins to kind of hit her nose a little bit. And she notices he's pretty good at cooking. Or at least he knows what he's doing. Rose kind of continues to watch him as he cooks, and it smells amazing. She kind of just continues to check her surroundings as she sits comfortably on the pillow that she was given, but also watching his work process, and also wondering how the hell she is going to be able to do any prep. <laughs> he then goes over and he reaches over her and grabs something else, and it looks like some paprika. And he sticks that into the grinder a little bit and grinds the powder with the rest of the powder and then sets that aside. All right, let's see. He also grabs some lettuce and cuts that up into nice thin shreds and sets that aside. And then he also grabs the steaks, sets them down, and he begins to season them with the previously grinded powder. So, medium rare for you? Medium rare is good, yeah. Alright. He then takes the steaks over, grabs a cast iron pan, puts it into the fire a little bit, and then puts the steaks right on with some oil, and it sizzles as it makes contact. I mean, I also like rare steak too, but it doesn't matter, okay. just as long as it's not dry. I'm going to be making a nice garlic aioli sauce with it, too. I suppose you like garlic. Garlic's good. I don't know why people don't... Why anyone would think that anyone won't like it. Hmm, good point. While the steak is cooking, he continues and begins making the garlic aioli sauce. And as he puts the ingredients together and continues mixing them, Rose kind of has this kind of clarity of seeing his actions seem to be like meticulous almost like it's automatic and she gets the faint feeling that he's been around for a long long time are you just alone out here hmm. yeah, we, yeah i've been alone out here for a long time i don't really get company unless it's any company that i eat mm -hmm. She tries not to think about that too much. He then sets the sauce aside and begins prepping the tortillas. He takes another pan and pulls it over to the coals of the fire, not directly in it, and begins toasting some of the soft tortilla shells in the cast iron skillet as well. He pulls those out and puts them over, and Rose sees that he takes a large plate for himself and then takes a small one for her and sets down a small tortilla shell and one after the other he puts down like three or four of them for her you fine with three or four uh three is good all right he takes one away and kind of sets it back into the package a little bit and then he goes over and begins flipping the steaks now and as he does rose notices this really nice crust has formed on one side of the steak and as he is he continues to cook again this meticulous movement he just has this feeling and know-how of what he's doing. And by the time the steaks are medium rare to rare, he pulls them off. And he kind of begins to rest them as he is prepping the tacos and getting those ready. And then once the steaks are properly rested, he slices them thinly and begins laying them on 
the veggies. And then once that is done, having six of them on his plate and three of them for Rose, he then hands Rose her plate as well as a small saucer of the sauce that he had made and as well as a couple limes for her and some whole milk. He then sits himself down with a large glass of beer and begins to eat. And as he eats, Rose hears the distinct crunching as he is biting into his food. She just kind of eats awkwardly, although it is kind of hard not to ignore as obviously every sound that he makes is going to be a lot more, a lot louder now as it feels like he is so much closer to her and yet sitting probably the same distance as before. He then kind of reaches over and as he reaches, hadn't noticed this before, but she just now realizes this as his sleeves have been pushed up to the elbows, notices that his entire right arm was completely covered in tattoos, and his massive hand grabs the glass of beer, and he just begins to guzzle it down halfway. <sighs> Sorry. That's fine. The silence between them kind of grows a little bit. And he pauses, and he kind of munches on in a lime with a slice of onion. Listen, I know it's going to be a little bit awkward, and I know it's probably a little different having a meal with a giant and not being one yourself, but if there's anything you want to ask me, just ask. Better you know me rather than being awkward and a stranger. Well, it's hard to ask questions when I'm not really in the right mindset to do that. That's understandable. He takes another bite from one of his tacos. I know plenty about you, though. But there's a few things I don't know. So, if you're up to it, I can ask you a few questions. Would say... Would you even want to ask me? Well, for example, is there anything you don't like, food-wise? I mean, I don't like a lot of things. Like, like don't make don't make it sound like I don't like lemon because I do. But, well, here's the thing: I do like lemon, but not when it is like the main flavor of a dish especially with chicken and especially if it's been sauteed for too long is then it just tastes like vomit to me okay. but that's understandable anything else I, I mean i'm scared of ants you're scared of ants and you're much bigger than them i don't know i just don't like them and they they crawl on my legs whenever i don't notice them hmm. well that's understandable I don't like fire, so I guess we're even on that one. Anyway, is there anything that you deeply enjoy, again, food-wise? I mean, I have a few bits of comfort food, but I don't know if I'm ready to say that one yet, because the recipe is kind of personal. Alright, that's understandable. It's a personal recipe of my own, so... Okay. 
Is there any things you enjoy in life? I prefer the mountains and the forests. They're calming to me. Hmm. Well, there are mountains around here, but nothing like Canada. I know. Anyway. I guess, uh, what is your favorite color? Blue. Hmm. To be honest, I don't think I have one. I like quite a few different ones. Anyway, aside from that, I think I pretty much know you a little bit better. But with time, I'll know more. Anyways, I'm finished, so are you? Rose finishes the last few bites of the taco that she had left. Don't forget to drink your milk. And she does. She finishes the last drop. He then takes the dishes and begins to wash them. Do you need to take a bath at all before bed or no? I mean, I would prefer it, but I'm pretty tired. I kind of wait until tomorrow morning. I still got a few things to do, so I'll set you up for your bed. And then I gotta do a few things. Well, I mean, I mean, I could take a bath while you're doing that, I guess. Never mind. No, you can sleep if you want, unless you really badly want to take a bath. I don't know. I have a splitting headache, and my shoulder still really hurts. So I I don't know. Yeah, I do. Okay, how about this? You take a bath. I'll give you something for your headache. But that bath is going to make pain go away. Trust me. Once he finishes the dishes, then he goes over and goes into his office real quick. And kind of from the corner, just peeking around a little bit from where she's sitting, she can see him kind of, like just half of him kind of messing around with couple things in his office he comes over and he brings what looks to be like a glass vial that has a few pills in it and he sets them down for her here take this he then goes over and grabs her again another glass of milk for her to drink thank you you're welcome when she is done taking the medicine and drinking the milk he takes the empty vial and the glass washes the glass real quick and sets it over so that it can be dried and then brings the vial back to his office and then comes back over to her with a few towels he then picks her up and sets her down on the ground there you know where the bathing chamber is so i'll be in my office if you need me he then sits back up and walks away from her, his massive footsteps kind of shaking the ground a little bit as he walks away. For a long moment, Rose kind of watches as she heads into the bathing chamber, peeling off the pajamas that she now... She's not sure if they're fully ruined yet as she sets them aside for now. And she slowly steps into the warm water. She takes a moment to think and she washes herself. She needs to plan accordingly if she wants to leave, if she wants to escape. She can't just run away. And that not only that, she needs money, she needs a phone, she needs some way to contact somebody. So she has to plan this carefully. 
She has not forgotten. She is still thinking of a way out. But she knows that she has to do this carefully, otherwise she is scared that she is going to die in this place. So as Rose is relaxing in the water and just letting herself soak and letting the water soak into the bite marks on her shoulder, she just closes her eyes and relaxes as the water warm envelops her and steam whisks across her exposed skin and her face and the sound of the crashing waterfall not too far away continues to lull her into a sense of security even regardless of where she is and who who her captor is have managed to somehow let her relax and feel some sort of peace. Using the soaps that she had taken, this seems to be a peach scented one. She takes the shampoo, just scrubbing it through her hair, washing out any of the dried blood that it hit on her hair, letting herself fully rinse herself off before taking her hair very softly, just washing it gently and carefully with the shampoo and the conditioner that she that was provided before moving to her skin breaking her her nails against her skin as she softly scrubs the soap into herself so as rose is cleaning herself she gets a little bit in her eye but it wasn't or it isn't enough to hurt herself but gets some of the soap in her mouth a little bit and as she tastes it it doesn't taste like soap. It tastes like fruit. She kind of pauses at this, wondering if it is even soap at this point, but it works like soap. It smells like a really strong soap. But a thought creeps up in her mind a little bit, and she starts to think back to what he had said earlier, that this is what he uses for his guests. He grows more silent and uncomfortable, and she kind of slowly puts the bottles back in the side. But as she finishes, she kind of steps out of the water, wondering with that thought as to what is she going to do for clothes. She grabs one of the large soft towels that she wraps herself in it, but again, she is thinking, what, am I, what about my clothes? What am I going to do with those? With not much choice left, she, she kind of looks at the clothes that she had wore for the last two days now before sliding them back on again after drying herself off and then sees if she can find him. As she walks across the main atrium, seemingly this place was much bigger than as she walks around it herself. But as she walks over to his, or the corridor leading to his office, she sees him sitting there as he is reading. She kind of slowly and cautiously approaches as she kind of softly Looks at him and is like, um, I'm finished my bath. The man just kind of pauses for a moment. So, how was your bath? The man looks over and looks down. Why are you wearing the same rags? They're, they're not rags. Maybe I could wash them and they'll be okay again. The man kind of rolls his eyes and picks her up, plucking her and holding her at the back of her shirt. And puts her on his desk. Alright, let's see. He reaches over and grabs what looks to be a small chest with 
basically for Rose's height, might as well be a big chest for her, or like a big treasure chest for her. But to him, it's a little small jewelry box. And as he opens it, she sees that it's a whole chest full of clothing for females. And he kind of picks through and she sees him pull out dress after dress after dress after dress, dissatisfied with each one. Ah, oh, I love this one. And he pulls out a long white nightgown that seemingly came from the Victorian era. Alright, try that one on. And he collects the other dresses and puts them back. And closes the chest and puts it back. Rose looks at the nightgown, kind of pouts slightly because she is not a fan of dresses. But she takes it as there's really nothing else that she can take at the moment. She holds the nightgown delicately to her chest and then kind of glances over. He kind of puts his hands up. And he kind of turns the seat around so his back is facing her. Once the man has turned away, she sighs, slides her old clothes off, and then slides the nightgown on. The man just kind of perks his ear up a little bit. You ready yet? Yeah, I'm ready. He then turns back around. Hmm. Nice. At least to me, you look appealing. Anyways, might as well bring you to bed then. He then picks Rose up and then brings her back to his den and sets her down on the lip of the den around where his nest is. And he begins to grab a few pillows and blankets and furs as well for her and sets up what seems to be a makeshift bed on the large lip of this edge around his bed. There we go. That should be good enough. The bed or nest that he had erected for her is mostly a base of pillows first and then blankets and then furs and then another two blankets on top for her to cover herself with. One of them more uh, lighter just in case if it was too warm and then the other one heavier and slightly furred just in case if it was too cold for her. Rose kind of sits there watching him as he does this, and she kind of looks to him and is like, you know, never, I don't even think you ever told me your name. The man then kind of looks at her. Yeah, I don't think I have either. Would you like to know it, or would you like to continue just to not address me? Yeah, I'm going to be stuck here for a while, so might as well call you something other than that man or something. The man kind of chuckles to himself a little bit at her comment. <laughs> Alright. My name is Clyde. Clyde Luca. People who know me call me the Hanged Man. But you can just call me Clyde. Mm. It's a nice name. Rose is trying not to make it as awkward as it already is. To be honest, I thought the name Rose sounded nicer. Pretty fitting. Anyways, like I said, I'll join you in a bit. I just need to do some reading. The man then kind of sits up a little bit, leaves her to her own devices, and leaves her alone. Rose curls up again, still in deep thought as to what she plans to do next, hoping that she doesn't stay here for too long as she curls up in the bedding provided and tries to fall asleep. So, as Rose goes to bed and quietly falls asleep, 
lost in thought. Clyde goes over and sits down in his office and continues to read. But the book that he's reading consists of everything about Corvana, which is what Rose is. And as he opens the book, and he looks through page after page after page after page, peeling over chapter after chapter after chapter. He continues to read and try and figure out different things of what she is capable of and finds that she is indeed a very strong Corvana, one that can manipulate elements even if she is taught well and can even manifest electricity or fire from her own hands and fingertips and even can engulf her own body in fire literally finding that she is his weakness given this is the fact angrily Clyde closes the book Apprentice or not, I can't let her know these things. Standing up, he then goes over to his bookcase and sets the book not back where he found it, but at the very top, so that it is completely out of reach for her. With that said, he picks up his goggles from his face a little bit and rubs his face. Either four or five days now without much sleep. I think it's time for me to hit the hay. He goes over to his den, finding that Rose is indeed sleeping. Quietly, he strips down to just his shirt and his boxers. And getting in the bed, he takes his shirt off, sets it down on the side, and lays down, covering himself with his own blankets, pretty much up to his lips, and closes his eyes and begins to sleep. Daylight falls, Night creeps in, and the cave goes dark as the crystals, once illuminated by the electricity from Clyde's hand, now begins to fade, plunging the entire cave into darkness.
And that is where we are going to end today's episode. So, Miri, what do you think? Oh my god! So much shit we had to do. Also, there's still a lot more to come from here on out. I know. That was a lot. I mean, god, now we're starting to really know more about these two characters. And oh my goodness, the stark difference in how he lives versus how she lives is so much... It's so different, but it's... Just a, mm, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. <laughs> this is why I made that character, because he is so different. He's just so strange, but intriguing, and I love him, even though he's an asshole. <laughs> oh my god, he's a major asshole. I mean, oh my god, I can't wait to see what, or how these guys interact with this, um, with this point of this AU. Because I know we've had other versions of this AU. Some of it was more softer, some of it was more a lot harder. But this is a more dumbed-down version for the public's, you know, because what he does in the harder version is much worse. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's like, oh my god, I'm no telling where this is going. I mean, with the other ones, we knew where this was going to go. But with this one, we have no fucking clue. We're just playing it by ear right now. So... <laughs> Gotta wait to see what finds out. <laughs> so we will fucking see in the next episode, you know? Anyways, so we might as well plug in our socials. Um, so you can find me. You. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Bless you, dude. <laughs> that was well-timed. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> yes, it was. It was beautifully timed. Yes, you can find me at Sneeze. <laughs> Anyways, so you can find me on Twitter, YouTube, and Patreon, either as Ari Jaeger or Demonic Freak. And as you already know for me, you can find me at Instagram, Twitter, uh, Ko-Fi, and Patreon at Rosemary underscore art, or just Rosemary if you're looking for me on Patreon. Yep, and we want to thank you guys for joining us on today's episode of our podcast and this RP. And just, yeah, if you like this story, continue listening. You know, it's just going to get much, you know, darker, deeper, and much better of a story. I mean, we're just right now in the beginning. This is still the beginning. There's still a lot more to come in this beginning. So... Continue following us on this wild ride. Trust me, you're not going to regret it. And, you know, if you enjoyed this, why not telling us over on our, um, you know, Crossroad Stories Twitter. You know, go tell us about it. Tell us what you think, you know. But anyways, with that, that's all that we have for you guys today. We hope you enjoyed this episode and hope to see you all next time. And remember, guys, a story is a winding road with many turns. You never know what the road will bring next.